Is change something that happens to you or does it happen for you? That's a very different concept that will have you thinking about how to ride the tides of change in your business. Welcome to Disrupt Yourself Live with Whitney Johnson. Our program will have you looking at change from an entirely new perspective, a framework in which you and your team can not only face an ongoing and rapidly changing environment, but look forward to it and maximize it for business success. Now, here's your host, Whitney Johnson. Hi, everyone. I'm Whitney Johnson, and this is Disrupt Yourself Live. We all know change is necessary, even desirable. In fact, we know it's inevitable, but when change happens fast, which it usually does, it can feel like it's happening to us and not for us, which can feel kind of scary. What I've learned having been an equity analyst on Wall Street and then co-founding an investment firm with Clayton Christensen at the Harvard Business School is that the theory of disruption that we apply to products can also be applied to people. I've since spent the last five years codifying and researching a seven-point framework of personal disruption so that whether you are scaling a business, building a team, or just trying to manage your own career, you've got a structure to do this. What we explore on this show is how do you know when it's time to disrupt yourself, and when you do, how do you do it successfully? In today's episode, we will be speaking to a true blue textbook disruptor, Susan Peterson. She's the CEO (laughs) and founder of Freshly Picked, a leading baby lifestyle company with over 6,000% revenue growth in the past three years. Welcome to the show, Susan. Thank you, Whitney. I'm so excited to be here. Well, I thought what would be really fun is to start off by hearing about how Freshly Picked started and what it is you do. Oh, that's a good question. So, um, Freshly Picked started about 2007, 2008. Um, my husband was in school. Uh, he was going to the University of Utah. Um, and I, I just had a baby and we were trying to figure out, do I go back to work? Um do I stay home? He's in school. We're very poor. And um, I had a friend who at the time told me, oh, I'm just going to sell, I'm going to sell stuff and sell it online. And I thought, okay, me too. Like, why not? You know? (laughs) (laughs) So I started, I started at Etsy shop. I was a very early adopter of Etsy. I think when I joined, there were about 300 members and then it rapidly grew. Um, And I was selling baby clothes and baby blankets and bags and just kind of whatever I could sew in my free time during naps and um, and like when my husband got home. So then I had another baby, my son Gus, and um, I wanted, I was trying to find some leather baby moccasins for him and I couldn't find any. I couldn't find any baby shoes that weren't cutesy. You know, they all had like, bears or basketballs or bright colors and I just really wanted kind of a legacy shoe that would that would look good for a long time and then we could pass on you know if we had other kids so I just sewed a pair of moccasins and um they were not great and uh which is fine and I put them so along with my Etsy shop I had my Etsy shop was pretty unsuccessful I had an equally unsuccessful blog at the time. So I put my <laughs> moccasins on my blog kind of to just say, like, look what I did. Um, a little internet validation, if you will. And um, a bunch of people said, I'll buy those. So I put them in my Etsy shop and they sold out within, you know, 
an hour or so. So I made more, put them on my Etsy shop, and they just continued to sell out. And I thought, okay, I'm on to something. I had always told my my husband, Chris, that um, if I could find that one product, I knew I could make a successful business out of it. And I tried a bunch of different stuff in the moccasins. Surprisingly to myself and my husband were the ones that, that stuck. They were also the hardest to make, the hardest to source, mm-hmm. the hardest for everything. So, But I just went for it. So... So let's back up for a second. Did you yeah. uh, did you know how to sew when you started all of this? No. <laughs> I um, I convinced my mom to buy me a sewing machine, and I just started sewing. She had I had seen my mom sew my whole life, but we weren't allowed to touch her sewing machine because she sewed all of our clothing when we were growing up, mm. and she needed it, you know. So she she had mo- so th- this idea of learning how to sew wasn't completely foreign to you. You had seen your mom sewing, but you hadn't ever learned how yourself. But you had the sense that you could because your mom did. Yeah, because my mom did. And also, I would say, Whitney, you know, um, my complete unfair advantage, because I don't have education, I didn't go to college, I didn't do, I didn't do the traditional route to start a business. My unfair advantage in life is that I fail to see how hard or difficult things are going to be or are until I'm well past them. And then I'm like, dang, that was kind of hard, you know? Interesting. Yeah. Why do you think, okay, so Susan, let's, let's unpack that a little bit. Why do you think that um, not going to, uh, so you graduated from high school, right? But you didn't go yeah. to any college. No. Well, I went to a couple semesters here and there, but I'm a terrible student, so it didn't work out for me. Okay. All right. So why do you think, have you analyzed this at all? Why not going to um, college gave you this unfair advantage um, in terms of not seeing how hard it would be? Have you analyzed that? I mean, I think sort of because I've hired a bunch of people who have gone to college and have really Mm -hmm. impressive pedigrees and degrees. I think what what you have to do as an entrepreneur, especially in the early years, is just grind it out. And Mm -hmm. I think because I didn't go to college, I didn't ever sit down and like model out like what I was going to make for the year or what I was going to make for the next five years or whatever. Um, And so I didn't know what I should know in order Mm -hmm. to make a successful business. And so when I was, when things were really hard and things were tight, I didn't realize that, Hey, I might have to shut down. I just kept grinding away at what I, what I knew was working and what I thought would work. And so I think that's why I was able to be successful because I didn't see the Got it. And it sounds like a little bit of necessity has taken, the necessity was in there as well. I, I, there's, I, there's a story that, um, I've heard you tell, and I would love for our listeners to tell. It has to do with metal frames. (laughs) Will you tell that story? (laughs) Because I love that story. That's the best Susan Peterson story ever. So tell it. (laughs) It is. It is. It's again one of those things that at the time I didn't realize. You know, now I hear it and I'm like, dang, that was pretty cool. But um, at the time, (laughs) it wasn't. It wasn't anything more than what I was doing. So I had gone to the leather store to buy more leather 
uh, up until then, I had kind of been using the, I had been using the scrap, this bag of scrap leather that I'd gotten from a yard sale to make my moccasins. So I went to the, the leather store and I thought, oh, it's not much different than a fabric store, which means you can go in and you can buy like a quarter of a yard or a half of a yard or a full yard. You don't have to buy like the whole bolt of fabric. And at the leather store, I, I picked out all these beautiful hides and I went up to the counter and I was like, where do I get these cut? I just want like a quarter of a yard. And the lady like started laughing at me and she's like, no, no, honey, you have to buy the whole cow. And I was like, what is a cow? So she took a hide of leather and kind of shook it out. And I was like, sure enough, there's a cow. And I was like, okay, well, how much is a whole cow? And she said, it's $200. And at the time, I just couldn't even fathom $200, you know. Uh-huh. So I thought, okay, I'm going to make this work. So I went to my brother, who at the time had a window installation business. And I convinced him to, when they install new frames, they take out old frames. And usually those old frames have aluminum in them. So I convinced him to give me all his old windows one summer. And I just spent the whole summer during nap time and, like, when my husband would get home, out there like banging the glass out of the window so I could take the frames to the scrapyard to make money and not only that when he like when I go on walks with my daughter I was like picking up aluminum cans and kind of just doing whatever it took and then mm-hmm. at the end of the summer I took the frames in and I had enough money to go buy the leather how many how much leather did you end up buying just two hundred dollars. Two hundred dollars more than that. Yeah, just one height. And then from from a height, you get about forty pairs of moccasins. So mm-hmm. I was able to um, make forty pairs, sell those, and then I was able to buy like four hides from that, and then continue to just build my business from there. Wow. So, um, uh, okay, I want to ask you a working capital question, but I'm not going to go to the working capital yet. Um, <laughs> how many, be, before you, okay, so you said you tried this and you tried that and you tried the other yeah. thing. Do you have any, because I, I think that it's so easy, right, when we look at your story now to be like, and then she, you know, made some moccasins and voila, she has this business. Um, yeah. Which, you know, which is lovely, but it's not accurate. So the question is, totally. do you remember how many businesses you tried that just didn't work before you hit on this idea? Like how many times did you have to iterate? Oh, it was like two years of just sewing a bunch of stuff that people thought they want, that people wanted me to sew that I thought people wanted to buy. If that makes two sense. Two years. Yep. But I, uh-huh. I, I think what, I would say the things that I did to continue the moccasin business would probably be more accurate for that. So for example, I, I wrote for Babbel for like three years because I was making a certain amount of months for writing for them. And, um, that was able to give me, um, working capital to, to like pay an employee and to continue making the moccasins, put everything back in and then also give me some income. Um, you know, when you go to like uh, festivals or whatever, and there's a girl there selling like glow necklaces, yep. I sold glow necklaces at festivals because you could like buy them off of uh, Oriental Trading Company, like four for a dollar, you can turn around and sell one for $2. So it's not like a viable business for me, but I was able to, again, make cash to um, keep things going. I would go to concerts and sell like baked goods. I was, uh, we my husband and I created these like leather mouse pads that cost like a dollar to make and we could sell them for 30. So I sold like a thousand of those. It was just like 
anything I could do to keep the business going, I would do. That's interesting. Okay, so, all right, so I want to, if you don't mind, I just think this is fascinating if we kind of like mm-hmm. look at this. So you you get the $200, you make the 40 pair of moccasins, you sell yeah. those, then you are able to buy another $800 worth of leather, presumably right. in different colors. And yeah. um, then just walk us through what happened that first to the best of your recollection, because I know it's been about 10 years now, just kind of that yeah. first two or three months, because I think that's fascinating. Um, it was, I would just cut all of the leather. I, I would spend every last penny on leather. Then I would sit there and hand cut all the leather and then sew all the moccasins and then mm-hmm. do kind of like this big, hey, they're ready to sell kind of through my blog and in the Etsy shop. And then they would sell out in one to two days. And then I would turn around and do that again. Hmm. And it was like, it was like late, late nights. Like I remember there was one summer, I think Gus was like one. So this was like probably a year and a half in, maybe he was two. And I would like sew until two or three in the morning, get up at like seven with the babies. Um, then my husband would go to work. So I'd be home all day, put them down for a nap. So during nap time or answer emails or package or whatever. And then, um, my husband would get home at five and then I'd sew from like five to like eight, like three in the morning. So I'd get, I was like constantly working. Um, and then at the end of the summer, I thought, okay, I can, I can afford to bring in a seamstress. I can afford to have someone sew for me. And it just kind of was like, I could not do it anymore, you know, by myself. Yeah. And so I hired. Susan, how many were you selling at this point when you finally were like, I can bring in a seamstress? Were you uh, allowed yourself to bring in a seamstress? I was like, it was more like on a monthly basis. I was Mm -hmm. making like one to 200 pairs by myself. Okay. Okay. And do you remember um, what kind of revenue that was? I mean, you're selling them for like $600. Six, not six hundred dollars, sixty dollars a pair. Yeah, right? so it was so, like about ten k a month. I was bringing. Okay. In. Okay. Yeah. Do you remember a moment when you said, "Huh, we got something here"? Was it at that point? Like, when did you start to believe that there was really something to this business? It wasn't more than just a, "Oh, this is fun." Yeah. What's going to happen next? So there's like this like saying in the office and I've really actually tried to be better about it because I feel like I, I want to celebrate things, but it's kind of like uh, hashtag Susan's not impressed. So <laughs> I, it takes a lot for me to be like, okay, we're on to something. I really uh-huh. need to see it proved out a lot because I, I never want to just run b- blindly in one way. I really need to kind of see it like, I need to, I need to see the fruits of our labor, you know? Right. Right. So, um, we had been doing this for about, let's see, it was 2013, about four years I was in. Mm-hmm. And, um, the, I had one employee, Jody, who is my sister, who's my sister-in-law. And, um, we had Angie who was sewing and I, and we had about 30,000 followers on Instagram. Instagram has been, transformative for our business because Mm. moms who have nursing babies are early adopter were early adopters of Instagram it's kind of um, Instagram was the first social media platform that lended itself to that one finger scroll so moms would be nursing late at night and they would be on Instagram Um, 
And so wow. we were, we had about 30,000 followers and I said, let's, let's do a sell. We'd never put our product on sale before. This was May of 2013. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I thought for sure we'd sell, you know, like the usual monthly amount in one day. So 250 or so. Okay. And um, we had, we sold 2,500 pairs of moccasins in like <gasps> 45 minutes. And, you sold 10 um, times what you thought, yes. you, what you sold in a month in five yes. minutes. Yes. In 40, in like almost an hour, 45 minutes to an hour. Oh, an and hour. Oh, sorry. the thing is, Whitney, we were not, we were made to order at the time. So we'd get the orders, we'd give them to Angie to sew, Angie would cut them and sew them and then turn them back. So we had like a week turnaround and we, right. so we sold 2,500 pairs of moccasins that we did not have the leather for. We did not have them sewn. We didn't have them ready to go at all. There was nothing. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I went home and cried. And I called my friend, Noel, who um, later sat on my board for many, many years. And I said, I'm in big trouble. <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't have the product to send out to these people. And I was crying, like, just mm-hmm. so heartbroken over this thing. And she goes, okay, are you done crying? And I was like, what? <laughs> like, what are you talking about? She goes, Susan, boo-hoo. Oh my gosh, it's so hard to be successful. You need to snap out of this. And she's like, what are you going to do? And I was like, okay, well, maybe I'll, I don't know, I'll return everyone's money. We'll get our crap together and we'll try this again in a month. And she goes, no, you're not going to do that. I'll tell you what you're going to do. You're going to wake up tomorrow morning. You're going to put on your big girl panties. You're going to run at the fire and you're going to figure this out. And I said, okay, that's what I'm going to do. So the next morning, I, we just sent an email out to everyone that had purchased and said, hey, listen, our cell was so much bigger than we thought. It is going to take us between 30 to 60 days to get everyone's product out. And everyone was fine with it. They were so happy. Mm. And we said, we couldn't have done this without you. You know, definitely made the customers feel like they were part of it, which they were. And 60 days later, we had, we had turned around every single pair of moccasins. So I feel like that was the point where I was like, okay, we have something. We got to figure this out. Wow. Okay, so, and this was 2013, you said? That was 2013, and that was, um, right after that, I applied to go on Shark Tank. Okay, so, all right. So, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. We will be right back after our commercial spot at learning a little bit more about Susan's experience on Shark Tank. We are talking to Susan Peterson, the CEO and founder of Freshly Picked, a leading baby lifestyle company, and we are going to find out after the break how she got the name of the company, Freshly Picked. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you want more of personal disruption? Whitney Johnson's book, Disrupt Yourself, which the Boston Globe described as the what color is your parachute career guide of today, is available wherever books are sold. If you're wondering how to apply these ideas to build a team that can manage through change, her new book, Build an A-Team, published by Harvard Business Press, is now available for pre-order. In the meantime, you can hear more in-depth interviews with disruptors at WhitneyJohnson.com. 
hear about it all the time. Compromises, destructive malware, major breaches. You can't turn on the news without hearing about the latest cyber event. Learn more about cybersecurity, how it has become one of the most significant threats to our national security, and the battle experts undergo every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Task Force 7 Radio with host George Ritas is the voice of cybersecurity around the world. Tune in live every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. By 2025, the global life sciences market will have changed dramatically from the industry we know today. Patients are becoming more proactive and focused on wellness. Healthcare providers, payers, and producers are exploring ways to collaborate across the digital health sciences network to reduce costs while improving patient safety and care quality. How will you remain relevant? Tune in on the Voice America Business Channel for Changing the Game in Life Sciences, presented by SAP. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Disrupt Yourself Live. To reach Whitney Johnson with a question or comment about the show, please send your email to wj at whitneyjohnson.com. Now, back to Disrupt Yourself Live. Welcome back, everyone. And we've got a real live disruption right now on the line, which is fantastic. Um, Today's guest is Susan Peterson. Um, It sounds like there's a chainsaw in the background somewhere. Um, Our guest is Susan Peterson. She's the CEO and founder of Freshly Picked with over 1 million social media followers, primarily on Instagram and Facebook. Susan, before we went to the break, I said I was going to ask you the question, where did the name Freshly Picked Freshly picked was actually, honestly, it was like a 2 a.m. Etsy decision. I was on Etsy trying to figure out what to name my company, and um, I put in something that I wanted it to be named, and it was already taken, so I just like played around with these iterations of different words, and freshly picked was available, so I just went for it. I mean, that was when I was sewing bags and baby clothes. And then um, it just kind of stuck. I had an opportunity, I feel like, probably in 2010 to change it. And mm-hmm. I could never figure out anything that made more sense. So I just kept it. Huh. Okay. Yeah. And, super simple. Um, and, it, and now it's like you can't think of it probably being anything other than freshly picked. Yeah, no. And, and I feel like I kind of got lucky in that we didn't box ourselves into a corner with some baby shoes name because we're definitely doing more than baby shoes now. So um, I'm really grateful that I just kept it as is, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I want to ask you one other question. Uh, Before the break, you were talking a little bit about that moment where you went on Instagram and within an hour you sold 2,500 moccasins, which is 10 times more than you were selling in any given month at the time. Talk a yeah. little bit about working capital. What it, what did you do? Did you go to the bank? Or did you get people to prepay, like a Kickstarter campaign? Do you remember what you did? Because I think that's a lot a, a question. Probably, like you said, you were crying because this is a fear. Like you want to be successful, right. but then you can be so successful, you're completely overwhelmed. 
Yes. <laughs> so I didn't, I, I, it was dumb luck that I didn't know that you had to like ship product with a certain day of people paid. People paid and we offered to refund them if they didn't want to wait the 30 to 60 days to get mm-hmm. their product. And no one, no one took us up on it. So we actually had the money. We were able to go and buy all the leather we needed and get everything shipped. So we actually did not bring on investors. Um, well, we didn't bring on any bank. We didn't bring a bank partner on until 2016. And then we brought on investors last year. Up until 2016, um, the company was 100% bootstrapped. And then we brought on just a debt partner. And then last year, um, we brought on investors for the first time. You know, I think that's a really important observation um, because so often when companies start, they want, I think, bring on, to bring on investors, in my opinion, prematurely, um, where yeah. it, it's almost as if, you know, you talked about internet validated, it's like investor validated, when the best possible thing you can do is to bootstrap your company. Do you want to talk a little bit about the thought process around that? Because I think it's really important and probably quite valuable to people who are listening. I, it was honestly, Whitney, I'm going to be super honest. It was a lot of ego and a lot of like not knowing how to do it. Um, Mm -hmm. I felt like I was working really, really, yeah, I was working really hard and I didn't at all see the value in bringing in someone who was going to sit in an office and what I thought at the time, because I also didn't understand investing, was going to tell me what to do kind of Mm -hmm. thing, you know? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. that, and honestly, we had enough cash and my husband and I, we just made sacrifices. And at the time, it's still, it, they still don't feel like sacrifices. Like, we didn't even buy our first home until about three years ago. So we were renting. And we, you know, we don't ever, I'm not, I don't, we don't spend a lot of money. We just, we just really made the choices to invest everything back into the business. And my husband did, he became a stay-at-home dad about three years ago. Okay. So, so everything, he was working full-time, I was doing the business full-time, and we were just making it work. So I didn't, we didn't need investors because we had plenty of cash. Uh, that's what you get when you have a direct-to-consumer business. Um, and we, when we, when we did need the time where we were like, okay, let's start thinking about investors, we were able to bring on a, a lending partner, a debt partner, and kind of float it for another 18 months, you know? Um, and I really just wanted to wait until I felt like I had the right partner. For me, it's always been about someone who sees my vision, believes in what we're trying to build, and wants to go the distance with me. And I found that in my investors. Hmm. So did you do a Series A or what, what did you do? I don't know. <laughs> you don't know. Okay. You know what? That was a way too technical question that I should not have asked. You brought in investors. No, and I mean, are what, help would you it be a business. Series A? We're not planning on doing any more. Like, we're not okay. planning on, there's okay. absolutely no plan to raise any more money. At the time we brought on investors, I owned 100% of Freshly Picked. And mm-hmm. um, it was, uh, yeah, so now, I love now we have them. I love that you're so honest because I think that there are a lot of people listening to this that are like, you know what? I don't know what series A is either. And I don't actually need to know because I can grow this business and <laughs> I can just figure out if I want partners. Well, to what grow is it? Me. You tell me. 
What we didn't well, it wasn't there, Angel and it it wasn't friends and family. Was it Series A? I guess it would have been. Yeah, it was effectively a, it, it, yeah, it was effectively a Series A. You know, where you're it's you're not doing friends and family, you're not doing Angel cuz you're, you know, too yeah. late for that. So you're just bringing on. And so if you wanted to raise more money at some point, you would bring you would do Series B, but it sounds like you don't need to, which is which is great. Um No, okay, I mean, so we're no plans. No plans. Yeah. Although, you know, again, that could change, right? You just don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'd like to just hear a little bit about um, you've, got, you've got this tremendous work ethic. Where does that come from? I mean, just listening to you talk about the work that you were willing to do um, as, you know, when you were first starting out, you're working till three in the morning, you've got young children, you're probably completely mm-hmm. sleep deprived. Where uh-huh. does your work ethic come from, or do you know? No, I do. I definitely do know. It's um, passed down. It's my both of my grandmothers through my mother is where it comes from. So I'll start with my grandmother. So my mom's mom, Mary, who's just the coolest lady ever. She was um, my grandpa was in the war, and she ran two town bars and and raised four children effectively on her own. Um, And then my grandma, Edith, uh, she found herself a single mother, um, and she raised four children on a a teacher's salary um, in the 60s Mm. and 70s. And then um, my mom, you know, my dad himself was a teacher, and my mom worked and had so many side hustle things going on just to kind of clothes and, and feed six children. And um, so I grew up watching really strong women just get it done and, and never yeah. complain about it. They just did what it took to get things done and to provide for their family. And so for me, it was a ne- never, never a question of like doing too much or not doing enough or whatever. I really just felt like I was doing what it took to get things done. So that raises a really interesting question for me, for you. Um, And something I've been thinking a lot about is that there was a paradigm in your family of women getting things done and just having to survive at some level. Your business is now at a point where it's not about just surviving. What have you done? You know, so you've got to have a new paradigm because you're, you're doing something that's not how your mom thought about the world or how your grandmother's thought about the world. Have you, how have you allowed your brain to adjust and adapt to the, the question of how do I run the business as a person who's not just surviving, but trying to really grow something into this, this, this bustling, um, um, profitable, big enterprise? Oh my gosh, such a good question because I feel like I've, I feel like where there's no conflict, there's no interest for me a little bit, you know what I mean? And so I've, I've, when things have been really, really good at freshly picked, I've found myself a little bit checking out because I feel like I need a challenge. I need, I need something that I feel like I need to work with, work for. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I've kind of had to like totally shift my mindset a little bit from providing for my family to like building something that is aspirational and allows, I mean, our staff is about 80% women um, from our office, our leadership, 
uh, our customer service, everything. We're about 80% women in our office um, and the whole, the whole team, actually. And I feel like now I look at these women who are, who are, who are doing the same thing that I was doing, and I want to be able to, to provide a path and a person for them to model after. So that's kind of become this bigger thing for me, you know? So in other words, you've moved from to trying to survive and you got this bigger purpose of, I want to make it possible for 20, 40, 50, a hundred, 200 other individuals and 80% women to see the way forward for themselves and to not be just scrappy, but actually to build lives for themselves as well. And so you're, you're tapping into that in order to motivate you beyond the, we just have to get by fascinating. Okay. Thank you for sharing that. Um, all right. Let's talk a little bit about, um, shark tank. You did that. How did, what was it like? Why did you do it? Um, I think it's become so much a part of of our culture. We'd just love to hear a little bit about your experience. Yeah. I mean, I had a bunch of people tell me when, when I started, oh, you should go on Shark Tank. And I thought Shark Tank was strictly for invention. Oh, interesting. Things that people... I don't, I actually, Winnie, I don't watch TV. It's my, uh-huh. it's my biggest problem in my husband's eyes is I cannot watch a movie or a TV. I just don't, I don't have the patience for it. Yep. <laughs> so I'll like, we'll watch a movie and I'll be in the theater, like looking up the ending of the movie because I just don't have the patience to sit through a full movie and he's like, <laughs> stop it. <laughs> but, so I finally watched an episode and I said, oh my gosh, sure things for people like me with the American dream who can make something out of nothing. I, I should go on it. So I happened to meet this girl who had just, who, whose episode had just aired. It was kind of like this random meeting in New York. You know how New York is like that magical place where you just yeah. meet people and it's like, oh my gosh. So I met her in New York and she's like, you should watch Shark Tank. And I said, how do I do it? She walked me through it. She emailed your producer, got us on the phone together and I think a month later I was filming. Like it kind of just happened so fast. Mm. And um, it was right after our big May sell that kind of was the big corner right. turning for our business. And um, I will say the hardest part for me was I was there and I didn't have the confidence level that I have now in my business. I still mm. didn't really understand how significant it was that I had been able to do what I, I had done. And so um, it was awesome because I got a good edit. The Sharks loved me. I came, I, I made a deal on the show and post-show Damon and I just said it wasn't the best deal for me and he let me walk away from it. So it was like this wonderful experience um, for me that I feel like we've been my confidence level for a while. I feel like that's entrepreneurs, uh, one of our biggest struggles is our confidence level in like, mm. Am I a real entrepreneur? And I think it's like if you have to, if you ask yourself that question, then 100 percent you are. You because that means that you're willing to like take to like be teachable and to take into and to understand what it means to be an entrepreneur and to like put your ego aside. And I feel like so that was a big that was a big turning point for me too, as far as my confidence level. And then for the business, it was off the charts amazing. Interesting. So. So the one big turning point for you, apart from, so you had one first one where you're like, these moccasins are selling. 
And then you had the next yeah. one, the Instagram campaign. So that was another big milestone, it sounds like, for the business. And then yeah. the Shark Tank experience, which is really interesting. So I remember watching you on the on the episode. You did a deal, and you're saying that later the numbers didn't add up for you and for Damon John, and so he was mm-hmm. gracious enough to allow you to not do the deal. Is that is that correct? Yeah. yeah. That is exactly. very gracious. That is very yeah, gracious. Okay. Um, do you keep him apprised of what you're doing at all now, just to kind of keep him in the loop of, hey, thank you for believing in me yeah. kind of thing? I mean, we talk to someone on his team. We don't get Damon anymore, but yeah, we talk to people on his team for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's fantastic. Um, were you at, were you um, at all sad when it when the deal fell through? How did you kind of how did you feel about that? No, I wasn't because I just, I always felt like I had a big story to write, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. And I felt like I wasn't ready to give up a portion of my company. I wasn't ready to bring someone else into it. But mm-hmm. The way that I learn, I learn very much like solo. I really, mm-hmm. I wish I was a better learner than that, but I learned by a lot of trial and error. And I felt like I was, I was really on a good trajectory and I was learning a lot. And so I wasn't ready to like bring anyone into it yet. Got it. Okay. Interesting. Um, so one other question before we go to break is, does it ever surprise you that people will pay $60 for a pair of baby moccasins? <laughs> uh, does it surprise me? No, I am proudly no. premium. Yeah. Uh-huh. We're proudly okay. premium. We, we intentionally build products that will last and that will bring you a lot of joy. And I think that they are worth, well worth $60. Yeah. Right. Okay. Interesting. So you, you were very deliberate about making them so that they could last and last and last through, yeah. it sounds like from one generation to the next, if you want them to. So they become a bit of an heirloom. Yes. Yeah, so this is like a legacy heirloom. Those are words that we use around here a lot where we just mm-hmm. fast fashion and disposable fashion is like a big trend right now. And mm-hmm. we definitely, we produce everything in the USA. So we have like a fast fashion advantage, but we definitely never want to be disposable. We want people to hold on to it. And you know, your babies grow so fast that you feel like Anything that's substantial that you can hold on to, you will as a mother, you know? And so we want our product to be that thing that people hold on to. Wonderful. Well, thanks for tuning in, everyone. We'll be right back after our commercial spot, talking more with Susan Peterson, CEO and founder of Freshly Picked, a leading baby lifestyle company. And she has over 1 million social media followers. As we go to break, Susan, where can people find you on Instagram? Is it at Freshly Picked? Yeah, we're at Freshly Picked on Instagram, Freshly Picked on Facebook, or Freshly Picked across the board, yeah. Okay, go find her while we're on break, and we'll be back in just a moment. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you want more of personal disruption? Whitney Johnson's book, Disrupt Yourself, which the Boston Globe described as the what color is your parachute career guide of today, is available wherever books are sold. If you're wondering how to apply these ideas to build a team that can manage through change, her new book, 
Build an A-Team, published by Harvard Business Press, is now available for pre-order. In the meantime, you can hear more in-depth interviews with disruptors at WhitneyJohnson.com. Today's innovative companies use SAP solutions to transform their business. On hashtag SAP Talks, your host, David Treitz, will introduce you to the people behind those companies, discuss how they resolve their most pressing business challenges, and share lessons learned. Tune in monthly to hashtag SAP Talks on the Voice America Business Channel. How is your business running? It should be running smoothly with nary a hiccup, like a finely tuned machine. But if you're like most businesses, yours may be running nowhere close to that. Listen for Operationally Speaking with your host, Sergio Samel. Our program will help you to run your entrepreneurial business easier, better, with less frustration. And by running it well, you're sure to be poised for faster growth. Tune in every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Disrupt Yourself Live. To reach Whitney Johnson with a question or comment about the show, please send your email to wj at whitneyjohnson.com. Now back to Disrupt Yourself Live. Welcome back, everyone. Today's guest is Susan Peterson, CEO and founder of Freshly Picked. She's got over a million social media followers. Her company revenue growth is 6,000%. That's 6,000% over the past three years. And in 2015, Freshly Picked became the first woman-owned company to be named number, the number one fastest-growing company in Utah Valley. Welcome back, Susan. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right, so let's talk a little bit about where you are today. So you started making moccasins. What do you make today, and what are your your plans over the next year or so? So we have eight category, eight shoe categories across the soft sold soft soles. Um, so moccasins, and then seven other styles. We're adding two or three. We're dropping a couple, and then adding two or three more styles this year. Um, we're building out a whole diaper bag line. Currently, we've launched two diaper bags. Um, we launched one last year, and we launched one early this year, two different two different styles. And then we have about five more styles that we're launching this year in the diaper bag category. And um, we just got word last week that our diaper bags are in both Bye Bye Baby and Nordstrom, the number one selling diaper bag for the year. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. We're really excited about it. Um, And then we're doing, um, we're also, we we have sandals and we're going to expand our hard sole category um, to do shoes this fall for for kids up to about five. Um, Our moccasins go up up to about two years old and then we're going to expand that out to about almost five years old. And then... um, yeah, we have some fun things planned for holiday, and we're just going to continue to grow our business. Where we're really interested is pre- and postnatal moms 
and Mm. what they need to make their lives easier during that time. So that's kind of where we focus a lot of our efforts on in terms of like product development and product research is what's available, what's working, what's not working, and what can we either iterate on from like a fashion or a function point of view. Hmm. Interesting. And your children aren't little, little anymore, it sounds like. Are they, no. are they, are they tweens or are they in high school at this point? No, I, they're tweens. Yeah. They're, 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 my daughter, she's going to be 12 this summer. My son just turned nine. So we're facing a whole new set of challenges. <laughs> so what's interesting, I think a little bit is, you know, you started this business when your children were babies. And I think sometimes people have ideas. Like I remember when, um, you know, our children were young, I would have ideas for stories around children, right? Because I'm going through that Mm -hmm. stage of life. How do you, as you've moved beyond this stage of life of being, you know, prenatal and postnatal, unless there's some surprise on the way, how do you allow yourself to continue (laughs) to be like fresh around as if you were freshly picked? Like, how do you, how do you do that? That's such a good question. There, let me, there's not a surprise on the way, (laughs) but um, (laughs) We, uh, (laughs) I am super passionate about birth and birth Mm -hmm. stories and the business of birth. I think it's so fascinating. I thought it was fascinating as it was happening to me and I continue to be equally fascinated by it. Um, the change that a woman goes through as she goes from herself to a plus one and it is so significant in terms of like emotional, spiritual, physical growth. It is so significant in terms of like the the way that you view relationships, not only in your family, but the people outside of you. And I think that there is this like fluffing that happens when a woman becomes a mother around like things that aren't important anymore and things that are important and things you don't care about anymore. And you, you literally, I think it's one of the, one of the only times in your life that in an instant you become a different person. And when it happened to me, I was fascinated by it. And I continue to be fascinated by the women around me that happens to. And I love the business of birth. I just love it. Mm. So that's a big why for you. That's, that's fascinating. It is interesting. I remember, like, I was one of those people who was really reluctant to have children. It wasn't something I had dreamt about. You know, I can't wait until I have children. And yet, I remember when we finally had our first child, um, we had been married for about 10 years. And I, but I remember having him and just having this feeling that I felt more me than ever before after having a baby. Oh, it actually amazing. just brings tears to my eyes as I think about it. And, and so I love that you this is your big why you're you love the the what happens around birth. And so Mm -hmm. for you, it does stay fresh. And that's why you're able to continue to be excited and engage in this business, because it wasn't just a phase for you. It's something that you care deeply about, it sounds like, and will, you know, for the rest of your life. So that's pretty, pretty lovely. Um, So uh, talk to us for just a minute um, about any big missteps as you've been growing the business that you're ready to talk about that you just were like, whoa, um, that did not work out the way we thought it would. would. And um, yeah, any, anything and, and lessons learned. I think really, you know, what's the ROI on those big missteps? 
Oh, my gosh. I mean, we should have started out the show with that. I could take an hour <laughs> on my big mishaps. Um, I mean, some of my biggest ones that I feel like you pay for the longest are hiring the wrong people and not mm. just hiring, but allowing them to stay on for too long. That's always a big mistake. And I think one that as the business grows and evolves, I kind of sometimes have to learn twice. So there's that mistake. I think there's a terrifying and heartbreaking mistake of like not following your intuition, especially as like the business grows and your intuition becomes um, less important to the business as a whole, but more important to the decisions that um, Mm. you're in charge of. Uh, I think not owning my cash flow sheet has turned out to be a mistake at times, you know, um, not, say more not about having that. a deep understanding. Say, say more about um, that. I think not understanding what all goes into it and having, I mean, that, that was just a really big lesson to learn. And I think, you know, as the founder and as a person that, owning a hundred percent of the business, you need to know a hundred percent of what your cash flow sheet means. And I think I took too long to learn that. Why do you think you resisted that? Because I didn't think that I understood finances as a whole. Got it. So it made you feel dumb. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, it yeah. was like, it was like overwhelming. And I think you just need to, you just need to go into the pit of success on that one and just, be a totally a student and learn what it means. Um, But I would say like more important than my missteps, because I have had way too many to count um, has been kind of my, I have a system. So Mm. depending on if the mistake was big or large and if the mistake was my fault or someone else's, um, I, I quickly, one thing, so I quickly like try to assess, like I have to get my arms around it. And whether that takes like one day or a whole week, I will, I just have to understand like how big is this? What does it affect? Um, whose job is it going to affect? What is it going to look like going forward? So I spend uh, first things first is like get your arms around it. How big is it? And mm-hmm. then once I understand that, um, I try to uh, understand from like my own emotional health and well-being, like what it is going to do to me. And so there has been times in my business when something's kind of come down the pipeline. And this is usually when a mistake is someone else's and it affects me where Mm -hmm. I've, I, you know, I'll go to therapy for a little bit and I, I am the worst therapist. Therapists who are listening to this probably hate me, but I tell the therapist straight up, okay, here's what we're going to discuss. We're going to discuss this thing at work. What we're not going to discuss is anything that has to do with my relationship with my mom, any relationship Mm -hmm. that I have with any other family members, and I want to be done in four weeks. And my therapist is like, now I have a guy who knows me, but I just will figure out how to get the help from professionals. So it's more like a coach. You're like, I need a coach. I need someone to coach me through this rough patch, basically. Yes. And now that I have um, uh, investors, I will turn to them. But in the past, I've had a couple people where I've said, who do you know that's gone through this before? And I'll reach Mm -hmm. out to them and say, hey, here's what I'm going through. Can you kind of walk me through the the feelings, the thoughts, the things that I'm going to go through that you went through? And so I find someone 
who's not coming at it from like a clinical point of view, who's also just been through it. And yeah. then I have like two or three people that I confide in um, on a personal level that help me get through it. So I, I quickly and effectively go through things and I try to only feel and do things that are productive. I don't waste a lot of time on grief. I don't waste a lot of time on hate. I don't waste a lot of time wondering what could have been because I feel like those are not productive feelings for me. And so I just try to get through things as quickly Fast. as yeah. I can. And then here yeah. is the kicker, Whitney. Every time you're going through something hard, good things are happening all around you. And mm. so I have, I, I make an effort every night to write down all the good things that have happened that day. And so even though you're, you feel like you're in this personal I call it a shit tsunami because it is like bigger than a shit storm. If you're going through that, if you right. can take the time at night to be grateful and write down the good things that are happening to your business, you will see that there are usually more good things than bad. Okay. So as we're starting to wrap up, I want to ask a couple of final yes. questions. So of these, you know, so of something bad that's happened, can you think of yeah. something really good that could not have happened without the bad thing that happened first? And what is that? Hmm. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll go back far enough so it doesn't hurt as much, you know, but like, um, right, exactly. had I not had a, and we'll just reference, like, had I not had that sell, which at the time felt like the end of the world. I mean, mm -hmm. when you're starting out to not have product to ship to people that they already bought, it's terrible. Right. I would not have been able to have the cash to grow my business. Literally, it's as simple as that. Yep. Yeah, that's a great example. And, and I think you're, you make a great point, too, is that we all have these things that we've learned from, but there, there t there's a period typically where we need to kind of just let it sit and let the shame that any p potential shame that we feel kind of fade away. And also understanding that other people aren't going to necessarily understand. So there needs to be enough time that they don't judge us for it either so that we can continue to grow our business or, or whatever it is. I think that's really a valuable point okay oops we got to wrap up we've got one minute to go okay okay susan peterson any last thoughts for us um where can people find you what do you want people who are listening to know about you your business etc i just want people to know that whatever it is that they cannot stop thinking about that means they need to do it and you just got to do it you just got to go and build and if you're not a builder, then you got to go tinker. You got to do something. But if you can't stop thinking about it, you have to do it. Oh, such wise words. Thank you so much, Susan, um, for being you, on Lenny. the show with us today. Um, yeah, please. And it's been wonderful. We've been talking with the CEO of and founder of Freshly Picked, a leading baby lifestyle company. You heard it from her. If you have an idea, just get started. I'm Whitney Johnson, and this is Disrupt Yourself Live. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for being a part of Disrupt Yourself Live this week. Remember, our show is broadcast every Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Episodes are always available on demand at the Voice America Business Channel. Please join your host, Whitney Johnson, for another edition next week. <laughs>